You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. And Alhamdulillah, the whole world, uh, there's legalities. You'll find that uh, the world is moving around and a lot of things happen. This one is in court. Donald Trump is going to court and then uh, Obama was in court and Imran Khan is going to court. Everyone goes to court and some are courting disaster. But we're not here to court disaster. We're here to concentrate the Ummah on what happens in the world of legalities. And uh, Alhamdulillah joining us uh, this evening is uh, someone that is very popular on the platform. He is attorney Hafiz uh, Muhammad Kuvadia. And uh, as I said, very uh, popular indeed. Hafiz, and uh, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Tell me. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm doing well, Shabbat Jazakallah, with the blessings and the and, uh, and, and favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm doing well. How are you and your listeners doing in, I can't say sunny Durban because the sun is already set. How are you guys doing in Durban? I tell you in Durban, uh, you want to know you in the Gold Reef and we, they call Durban, uh, the Indian Ocean is full of, you know what, yeah, it's full of sewage and uh, I believe the jellyfish have come to check it out. I don't know what they're going to do, the poor jellyfish with all that sewage all around there. And it seems as if, you know, the whole world or most of the world is in a mess. But uh, this is why it's quite imperative uh, for us, uh, uh, Hafiz, uh, you know, attorney Muhammad Kudwania, for us to go and uh, do something that's important, and that is to deliver the message so that we can take out the uh, polluted minds and, uh, you know, focus them on the straight and narrow and uh, to the divine. Your thoughts? Gee, Jazakallah, inviting me, having me as a guest on your show this beautiful Friday evening. Alhamdulillah for that. Sorry to hear about the state of affairs in Durban. Every city has got its challenges. Now the national dilemma is the load shedding. We have water outages from time to time. Allah help us. We're going through terrible times. You know, we thought that we uh, that we're evolving and we're getting our infrastructure will be getting stronger. But all the years down the line, things that looks like we just need to remind ourselves once again that we're middle of Africa or in the south of Africa, and that. Um, uh, being part of Africa, these are the challenges that Africa experiences. Maybe in a small way, we need to be grateful that we are not in some other country where there's absolutely zero electricity, zero water, zero infrastructure, zero rates. So, you know, uh, Muslim always is positive about his state of affairs. And uh, with that, you know, we carry on. We carry on day to day. You know, Mohammed, I remember my uh, journey to Somalia when I was in Mogadishu, and uh, that's where generators were running. And I said the whole night, so I asked uh, our host, what is this? He said, no, a generator, generator, and it did the job. And, you know, we lived in the presidential palace, they say. But uh, alhamdulillah, those were moments uh, that I, uh, I enjoyed. And I want to share this story with you. What I enjoyed about Mogadishu was, you know, uh, during... We had like a rondavo. When we looked up, we could see the skies, the stars, and so forth. But it made such an indelible impression. Yeah, I'm in a war zone. Drones are flying all over. You know, bodies are being strewn here. There's a bomb here. But just across the road uh, that we lived on, uh, limbs were flying over and landing right near our gates and so forth. But that indelible impression of that azar, you know, stays with me. 
I mean, others I could let the other haunting moments come through. But that azan is uh, what caught my, uh, my my soul and gave my soul an extra, uh, you know, uh, spiritual injection. And uh, I don't know if you had uh, uh, moments like that, uh, Muhammad. Well, of course, alhamdulillah, you know, you find that being in a Muslim environment, that when you're not in a Muslim environment, that you must uh, you're staying in an Indian Muslim, predominantly Muslim community. Alhamdulillah, Fajr, Dora, Samarra, Isha, we hear the Azan, and that in itself is a Ni'mah blessing. Just go out to some of the other areas where your Azan don't get heard, you feel there is something lacking. And just on that, that particular topic, I think that, uh, you know, whilst there are uh, the, the naysayers and there are issues regarding the World Cup, which I myself wouldn't support, at least the one is. The non-Muslims are being exposed to the Adhan, to Quran, to reciting, uh, to Islam being practiced, uh, uh, the safety, the security, the lack of al- alcohol. All these factors are lessons for the non-believers to think and realize that, you know, that Islam has good moral values. Islam promotes virtue. And like that, maybe this is this could be used in a positive way. In any way. But uh, I, I must also, you know, note and, and, and place on record that uh, my support for the World Cup would start and stop at the Dawah because there's so many other things that we would take umbrage with as a Muslim looking in on that situation. But it's very controversial, a high level of controversiality, speaking to the Arabs and to Qatar and these, they would obviously have their reasons for promoting the World Cup. We ourselves in this country in 2010 uh, were part and parcel of a host country that hosted the World Cup. Uh, you know, and we've seen, we've seen, unfortunately, you know, together with that, the reveling and the prostitution and the illicit drugs and all these things that come with the World Cup. So with that, we hope that Qatar doesn't suffer the same types of fitness and challenges that a normal country would host during this uh, terrible time. You're bringing a very valid point indeed. And, you know, there was this hue and a cry of, oh, what about our alcohol? We want our alcohol. And these are, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, we need to highlight also, Muhammad, is that alcohol... There's an unholy alliance with compromised religions. And, you know, the, the, the thought is that you compromise religion in Islam. It's tro- totally forbidden, cut from the roots. It has no room for us or for any Muslim to imbibe alcohol. But uh, you find, uh, you know, people in, on, in other faiths, the Christians, and the, maybe you find the Hindus and, uh, you know, the, the other religions. The alcohol is like, you know what, it's part of the uh, of the rituals, I mean, in the, in the church, they're drinking wine openly, but, uh, you know, you can see what's going on. Your thoughts on this, you know, there's an alliance amongst uh, the uh, people that imbibe, and, uh, you know, they try and uh, uh, vilify those uh, that uh, do not indulge to get drunk. Mohammed? Sure. And that's an important point. I was in, uh, in Kronstadt prison about two weeks ago, and I was talking to some of the inmates and, you know, trying, giving some nasiha. And when I asked each and every one of them there, did alcohol or drugs play a role in your commission of the offense? By and large, the response was yes. Directly or indirectly. People are sitting in jails today because, unfortunately, because of the, uh, because of the addiction to alcohol. So addiction by its very nature is the mother of all evils. Addiction of alcohol or drugs is a stepping stone to crime in this, around the world, not only in this country. So you, you find that during the COVID time, 
for example, when alcohol was banned in the country, when alcohol was not to be found in the country, suddenly the police stations had much less work to do. Suddenly hospitals, emergency rooms had much less to do and resources were able to be used more better. So if we just have to consider very carefully those few weeks when alcohol was banned, if those resources had to continue throughout the year, how much more efficient our government services would be, how much more efficient all types of public services would be, and how many how much resources could then very well be spent on basic services, the type of services that we really would use, the education, the roads, the infrastructure, these types of services now, which is far lacking in this country, Money could be poured uh, could be poured into these types of services. So yes, yes, yes. In many ways, alcohol. We've spoken about this in the past, and I think you know, uh, as a Muslim, we should have a natural repulsion towards alcohol because the Quran is very clear and unambiguous about the nature of alcohol for us as Muslims. Allah tells us in the Quran, "Ya ayyuhaladina amanu." Allah says, oh, you believe fairly alcohol, gambling, khamar and mesir, alcohol and, and, and gambling, and divination of errors and fortune telling. This is the handiwork of shaitan. You, you as a Muslim, stay away from it so that you may be successful. And Allah goes on and it, Allah tells us, Innama yuridu Allah says, barely shaitan wishes to put in your hearts hatred and enmity. And isn't that, isn't that the result of alcohol? Isn't that what alcohol eventually does? When a son stabs his sister or family member fights with another family member, and people are pulling out guns for each other because of the drugs and the alcohol and the drunkenness and the, just the mere uh, unsocial behavior of the people. Isn't this something that creates hatred between between family members. People are rotting in jails. I spoke to them and I told them, I said, your mothers are getting old and you're unable to support them. You're going to spend 10, 20, 30 years here because of rape, because of murder, because of robbery, all of which stem from alcohol. Your mothers are getting old. Your mother may even pass away while you're in jail. Your children are growing up without parents. Families are being ripped apart. Homes are being broken. Where does it end? Except that you have to give up this alcohol and say to yourself, you know what, I've had enough of this terrible punishment. I've had enough of my life going down to ruins. Even in jail, unfortunately, tragedy is to be found. And that's the reality. How sad is not that? You think that people go into prison and they would have an opportunity for them to, 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 to embatter their lives, for them to correct themselves. But unfortunately, even in jail, the situation is getting out of control. And this is the reality of the community. So, stay away from it. Even a nap or a tot is not allowed in Islam. So, us as Muslims, we should hold that concern dear to ourselves. That alcohol in itself is, 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 is a bad thing. We as Muslims should stay away from alcohol no matter what the circumstances. And today we find that today drugs have become more common. It's to be found even in our Muslim communities, irrespective of which background you come from, irrespective of what your financial status is. Today, families have been afflicted by the terrible scourge and the curse of drugs. In whatever name it is, whether it's tuck or it's 
methods, cocaine, steroids, that. Unfortunately, the reality is, reality is we look down upon alcohol, but in some ways we turn a blind eye to drugs and we should lump it, we should put it together and say, this is the handiwork of shaitan. As Muslims should stay far away from it. Now, you know what amazes me, Muhammad, is uh, that uh, when you go and, uh, and the, you know, the judge asks uh, uh, any mitigating factor, and the person says, yes, your worship, or you know what, I was under the influence of alcohol. And I mean, it's amazing that they use alcohol as a mitigating factor. And, uh, you know, it seems as if the West uh, accepts this without questioning it. Uh, what's your thoughts? You know, when you live in a non-Muslim environment, then what seems to be for us absurd, immoral, what seems to us to be out of the norm, in a non-Muslim environment is very well the norm. The judge sitting there is not a Muslim. By and large, the situation is such that he's not a Muslim. So for him, alcohol is part and parcel of his life. He grew up in church. If you know, in the Catholic church, they drink wine, which is considered to be the blood of Jesus. And then they have these flakes, which is considered to be the body of Jesus Christ. So they promote alcoholism even in the church, even in the church. If the pastor doesn't have his shot of whiskey before he comes and takes the podium, his morning is not going to go right. I know because when you speak to these pastors, they tell you, you know, the nerves are cracking and you need to give a big speech. I say, how do you, what do you do? <laughs> they say, no, we just have a shot and that gives us the strength to stand up on the podium. So what is he going to talk? If he himself cannot see right from wrong in his own lifestyle, this is unfortunately what guidance can he give? So the magistrate sitting there, the judge sitting there, if his life is surrounded by alcohol, whether a light drinker, a heavy drinker, you know, these, unfortunately, where do you draw the line? Where do you differentiate between a heavy drinker and an alcoholic? Where do you draw the line between a light drinker and a heavy drinker? Is two, three or four glasses considered to be heavy drinking or light drinking? And it's unfortunate that we have these situations and we're living in a community environment that this is the case. What's more unfortunate today, that if you go into Muslim countries, when you sit on Muslim airlines, where the food is supposed to be halal or it is halal, how much of halal is there when they're mixing it with the alcohol, when you find alcohol is freely available? And it's unfortunate, you know. Uh, maybe I think the only one that doesn't serve alcohol is Saudi Arabian Airlines. So how long is that even going to last? But we pray that Allah subhanahu wa keeps that and maybe opens up and keeps it such that the Muslim countries realize for themselves that there's absolutely no benefit when it comes to serving alcohol, if they can't do it, if they if Muslim can do without it, they should be able to do without it for a few hours. It's costing them a lot of money. Me and you have a Coke for five bucks. They're going to have a wine for 10 bucks or brandy for 20. And I don't even know what the value of these things is. So even from an overhead expense, and then when passages are rowdy, when passages are out of control, this is as a direct result of you giving them alcohol. The passenger is so drunk. He doesn't know how to control himself in an environment, in an airplane environment, and he does things. He can hurt somebody, he can hurt himself, and he can even cause damage to the plane or to the people. So it's unfortunate when we look at the circumstances in the environment today that we are faced with these types of dilemmas. And um, Allah protect us, protect us as far as possible from the scourge of alcohol, from the scourge of drugs. Uh, that, that's just the reality of the community that we are living in at the moment. You know, uh, when you look at uh, yeah, the countries, uh, some of the Muslim countries that uh, 
where alcohol is illegal uh, is Pakistan, Sudan, Saudi Arabia is questionable now, Somalia, Mauritania, Libya, Maldives, uh, Iran, Kuwait, Brunei, and so forth. But uh, when you look at uh, them making it illegal, then uh, you find uh, that the uh, population and, uh, you know, the hashish comes through and then you talk about the heroin and all those things are uh, coming through. But the it, it is amazing that the, the, the travel routes or smuggling of, uh, uh, you know, drugs that uh, you talk about, it's such a, uh, you know, scourge in our communities. It's going past that barrier, you know, from uh, Afghanistan coming down to, uh, you know, pa- uh, Pakistan and then getting into containers and all these things are working out from there. And then you look at the uh, fixation of the Western powers want Afghanistan or you want to be in Afghanistan. That occupation is just a, uh, you know, a facade because they, they are reaping the, uh, the, 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 uh, the evil of these, uh, you know, the poppy fields of uh, what Afghanistan has to offer. And they are smuggling it themselves with their army and with all that around the world. And, you know, it's one of the biggest money spinners that they don't tell you, but they're using different types of excuses. Uh, perhaps you could conscientize us, uh, Mohammed. You know, it's unfortunate even in the Muslim country that we have this. Remember, this hashish wasn't invented and discovered 100 years ago. These have been going on for thousands of years. And at some stage, even the Muslim, the Muslim empire was beset with the problem of hashish. You know, and the poppy seeds, in thousands of years that Afghanistan has been producing poppy seeds. And it's unfortunate that, you know, it, it infiltrated and became part uh, and parcel of uh, some of the Muslims' lifestyle in the early years. And now we know better. We know. In the early years, for example, um, cigarettes were considered to be just makru. Now it's considered to be haram because in the early years, we didn't really understand the whole nature of cigarettes. So they found that over the years with the evolution um, and, 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 the, and the investigation and the education, that some of these things uh, should have been banned at the outset. Be that as it may, in the Muslim countries, there's another scourge, another drug that is taken, and I don't know how familiar you are with this particular drug, it's called the gut or the hut. Depends which part of the, the world you, you at. So this is leaves of a tree that grows, particularly in Yemen, Ethiopia especially, where uh, the, the Muslim children, I've seen documentaries where five and six and eight-year-old children already start chewing this. And in a couple of, you know, maybe half an hour, an hour, you start getting a euphoric feeling and you're starting to feel. So... So, so isn't that drugs in itself? Isn't that a way for you to now keep away from your salah? And then with that, you find that people are sleeping right through the salah. Their day is wasted. They are not working. So I don't know if you've come across this particular drug. It's, it's in, in Yemen, it's absolutely right. So they've banned it in some of the European countries. I believe in England and USA, they've banned this gun. But uh, there's good reason for that. It diminishes your mind. It makes you... An, absolute animal you're unable to understand in over a few years you're totally finished this thing finishes you up so that that is something i found that even in the muslim communities that we ourselves what's what's the next generation and the next generation going to look like if the current generation is already beset with these types of problems the next generation will be finished what type of muslims will we have a muslim that can't stand up to pray what type of mujahids are going to be should the imam mahdi then arise who is going to be able to support his army? This is the condition of our youngsters. This is a condition of community members. This is the this is the condition of the Muslims around the world. The West is smart enough to know that these drugs are bad for their own communities, 
but they have no problem pushing out the poppy seeds in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, and controlling the monopolies and making millions of dollars out of these things. We as Muslims, we know better. We should know that these types of intoxicants, we should be the first people to burn the poppy seeds. We should be the first people to burn the hashish. Hashish comes from the Middle East, India, Pakistan. It's, it's those areas that they were, they used to have these things and introduce them to the, to the West when, you know, with, with the occupation. But the, the, the reality of the situation is, as Muslims, you should become intolerant to these vices of the community. 1400 years ago, the Sahaba took steps so that the wines of Medina were flowing in the gutters. 1400 years ago, they took steps to clean up the community. 1400 years later, we are still struggling in our own Muslim communities to deal with these issues. So yes, yes, from a moral point of view, from a religious point of view, from a legal point of view, from every point of view, there is absolutely no benefit in drugs. There's no benefit in alcohol. Well said, uh, uh, Mohammed. You know, on the other hand, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Morocco, Tunisia, you know, they have no restrictions and alcohol is freely available in restaurants, bars, shops. In, uh, and, uh, you know, it's quite amazing that these countries uh, allow it so openly. And it's all about because, you know, they love the tourism more than, you know, Allah shouldn't be saying this. It seems like they're compromising their deen or the iman. Uh, how do you re- uh, respond, uh, Mohammed? You know, one of the most startling things I've experienced in my, in my life was when I was walking from the border from Taba in Egypt across to Jerusalem. So when I came to the Egyptian side and I was checking out, I was, I was going through customs and I seen on the left hand side, there was a huge liquor shop selling all types of liquor that you could possibly buy. And this is in a Muslim country. This is Egypt. So we walked past all of that and we came to the Jerusalem site and there's a big sign there, welcome to Jerusalem, no alcohol allowed. And I thought to myself, look at this, look at this. Is this not a lesson for any Muslim to walk past and say, Astaghfirullah, the Muslim countries have benefited. They financially, they are making money out of alcohol. They are killing and poisoning their own people, let alone the tourists and all that. Their own people today have become victims of alcoholism. And yet, when you walk into Israel, it's supposed to be the enemies of Islam. These people are morally more upright than us as Muslims. We should be embarrassed. We should be hanging our head down in shame. But this is the reality. And yes, so quite, quite correct. Today, you go to Lebanon, you go to Syria, you go to Dubai, you go to this Qatar, you go to Turkey. Muslim by name, unfortunately, when you sit down in a, in a restaurant and you know, naturally, as South African Muslims, we're uncomfortable being in an environment where alcohol is served. Now you find a decent restaurant, you want to sit down, the guy gives you a menu, and then next best thing, you see a wine list and you see alcohol flowing. Automatically, there's a repulsion that you're sitting in a restaurant that's serving alcohol and you become repulsed by these things. And it's unfortunate today that we cannot even say from an Islamic perspective, which country doesn't serve well, as much as you say these are Muslim countries and it's banned and it's illegal, even in Saudi Arabia, there are mechanisms for which people, non-Muslims, can buy alcohol for non-Muslims to legally or even illegally they bring in the alcohol or they're manufacturing the alcohol in their own country. You know, um, 
like how we in South Africa tried to manufacture apartheid during the COVID lockdowns. <laughs> in in Saudi Arabia, there are stories I came across where people were, were, were manufacturing illicit illicit alcohol. So that is happening even in those countries. But we got, got to commend the government of Saudi Arabia, notwithstanding all the issues, they still, by and large, alhamdulillah, especially, you know, the Jerizira in the, in the Arab, Arab Peninsula where Saudi Arabia, of Saudi Arabia, you find that alcohol is not to be found. If it is, it's very remote, very few and far between. Uh, and, and, and I suppose maybe it's, it's impossible to keep it out 100%. But for what it's worth, the average person does not, is not exposed to alcohol. I don't know what happens because we hear scare stories of Saudis when they visit Europe, and USA, and even South Africa, that they imbibe and they get drunk or they consume alcohol. Allahu A'lam, I, I can't verify those stories. And I, and I hope and pray that it's true, that when they leave their country, then suddenly they forget that they're Muslims, they forget that, they, you know, that uh, alcohol is haram and that... Um, I pray that's not the, the reality of the situation in Saudi Arabia. You know, Mohammed, uh, I, maybe you can correct me here. Currently, the possession and consumption of alcohol is prohibited uh, for Afghan nationals. We know that. However, it is said that the Afghan government provided a license for uh, various uh, many outlets uh, to distribute alcohol beverages to foreign journalists and tourists. And uh, black market alcohol consumption is uh, prevalent as well. I don't know. I heard that through the grapevine. Any, uh, you know, second so, on that? So that, that, that's, that's uh, common in most of the, the Muslim countries. You'd find that exceptions are made for foreigners with alcohol and I know with uh, gambling as well. So when you go to Malaysia, they ask to see your identity document, I believe, before you walk into a casino. And if you come to, into a casino and your name is Muhammad or Ahmed or Shafat, they won't allow you, they refuse you entry. So. I understand that with the alcohol, you know, that they want to appease their guests, their citizens in that country that would insist that their rights of gambling also be considered. Um, but uh, permits have been issued in the past and permits are being issued in some of the countries. If you're Muslim and you found to be drunk, then, you know, the, the hard, the punishment, you could be arrested, you could be facing a court case. Uh, but with a permit, you are allowed to purchase alcohol in some, some hotels. You are allowed to drink alcohol on site. Not allowed to leave the hotels. So there are different rules associated with alcohol, especially for non-Muslims and especially for Christians. How do you deal with it? This this makes for an interesting question, because you know the, the hadith about the person who manufactures it, or the person who transports it, or the person that uh, serves it. Uh, the hadith is quite in depth about the nature of, of the sun and who carries the sun, even for these types of people. So you know it it, it leaves us with, with with something that we need to consider very carefully. If you were the king of a non-Muslim country, tomorrow, you know, we take over in a non-Muslim country and the citizens take alcohol by and large in terms of their Old Testament writings and New Testament writings, alcohol has not been made forbidden explicit, although it's an abhorred substance, it's not been forbidden. How do you as a Muslim leader deal with the issue? Do you create a blanket rule that alcohol is forbidden, considering that in their various religions, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity or Judaism, that alcohol is not forbidden. It makes for an interesting question, and maybe you can give me your thoughts on that. 
You know, uh, you, you, you tickle my mind, but you know, whilst you're talking, and I was thinking about, uh, I don't know whether this is a propaganda, Muhammad, where it said that, uh, you know, numerous uh, prominent Muslims throughout the ages drank alcohol. You know, I think you know what I'm talking about. And even uh, it said about the uh, Abbasid the ruler, Harun al-Rashid of uh, 1001 Nights of Fame, uh, they were all reputed uh, to indulge despite, you know, having... Uh, so in-depth knowledge about Islam and so forth, you know, and some of them have produced great works and some have been called the philosophers of this and that. What does that do to their teachings? You know, it is absolutely brilliant. And how does it impact on maybe a young Muslim researcher who's doing all that and he comes across this and sometimes having, you know, uh, that person as one of the uh, mentors? What goes through the mind then, uh, Muhammad? How do you uh, tackle issues like this? Tell me. You know, I've got to be honest with you. From the time of the Sahaba, there were people in the community that consumed alcohol. We hear the various stories. There was even an occasion where the other Sahabas, they, they cursed the person that took the alcohol. Mm. And they were reprimanded. That don't curse the person for verily. He loves Allah and Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We know of the time where Omar wrote a letter to one person that was imbibed in alcohol, and he said that Allah is most forgiving, and also is also soft in his punishment. He quoted the verse, Allah is also soft in his punishment, you know. So with that, this, this particular individual gave up the alcohol. So alcohol was considered, you know, criminal offense, and the lashes were to be instituted. Uh, the lashes were 40 lashes um, for a person that is found drunk. He, obviously, his testimony cannot be accepted because a person who consumes alcohol, his mind is not in the right place. He may say something or do something, and his testimony cannot be accepted because you don't know what was his state, his mental condition at the time. And yes, you're quite right. We, especially in the early years when Islam was already beginning to see attacks because we started losing um, some of the strongholds that we had previously held was as a result of the disobedience of the Muslim leaders. And you may have mentioned some names and in our readings we came across some other names and, 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 and until recently, you know, we, we find um, that alcohol continued to plague some of the greatest thinkers and so-called uh, and scholars of Islam. And, and, and it's a pity that, you know, uh, that we haven't rooted out the problem even 1400 years ago. But in today's day and age, it's becoming more and more common to find the university students, they themselves, because their friends are drinking, they've become impervious. They've become, they become susceptible or they, they, there's no barriers today in, in alcohol. They sit freely in, in where their friends who drink alcohol. And then what difference is it? His friend has drunk alcohol out of the glass. He rinses the glass once. He pours his friend a glass of coke, but there's still semblance of alcohol in the glass. So very tricky, tricky situation. For us as Muslims, we have to consider what is our position today. How are you protecting yourself? How are you protecting your family? Are we sending them to university institutions? We're not keeping an eye on what's happening. The Quran instructs you. Save yourselves and your family from the fire general. This is how you want to save your children. Because after a while, after the second or third generation, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be when alcohol is becoming? We living in an Islamic, we living in a, in a, in a, in a, in a democracy. We living in a secular country. We do not have the right to stand up and say 
alcohol must be bad. We are a minority in this country. So we've got to live in the circumstances and environment that Allah has put us in. When we, notwithstanding those environments, we still got to protect our women. And we can protect our women. We stay away from places where alcohol is being served. We stay away from restaurants. We stay away from hotels uh, or bars or casinos and all these types of evils that are associated with alcohol at the same time. This is how a Muslim should conduct himself. So yes, you are quite right. It's something maybe the underbelly of society when we hear of some of the greater uh, leaders of the Muslim Ummah over the last 1400 years was beset with this problem. And we pray that Allah forgive them for this. And that we pray that, you know, that this, these we, we don't have a generation after us that, that, that would, would be set with these type of problems. So yes, it's a very tricky situation. How, how, think about something also very carefully. You know, in Gujarat, where our forefathers came from, alcohol is, is bad, but not in the other provinces in India. So a person who comes into Gujarat, he's going to have difficulty finding alcohol in Gujarat. It's a dry state. So you've got to applaud the Hindus as well. You know, they by default, they do not, they should not, although unfortunately we see it's becoming now, it's not the case any longer, but in Gujarat, by and large, we don't know how long it will last for, but by and large, Gujarat has been a dry state and alcohol has been uh, banned. And Alhamdulillah, that is great because they so much more productive. We can be so much more productive, but sober and sane members of the community. And your money is not then wasted and squandered on alcohol and other expensive drinks. Yeah, Muhammad, and then you talk about Gujarat, and it's become a stronghold for BJP. I mean, I think the elections are on there, and uh, Narendra Modi knows that's my backyard. He's the king of Gujarat. Uh, perhaps your thoughts on that, uh, Muhammad? The situation in Gujarat is unfortunately very precarious. We're finding that as the days progress, we are getting stories about the attacks on masjids, the attack on Muslims, the attack on our Islam. So, unfortunately, you know, uh, these Allah protect the Muslims there, Allah protect the Muslims wherever they may be. It is unfortunate these are early signs that the Muslims, as a minority in India, can very easily become victims in India. And you know, uh, Narendra Modi, unfortunately, see, comes from a camp, the BJP, and they, they've got some other political right wing associated with that BJP. Uh, I can't remember the name of him, where they are very loyal to Hinduism. They are very anti-Muslim in their, in their, uh, in, in their speeches. They are, uh, 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 they, so there's a lot of anti-Muslim rhetoric, anti-Muslim sentiments that's coming across. And this then, um, it, it, it then comes down to the man in the street. So Kurbani time now in the whole of India, Muslims cannot slaughter the cows, Muslims cannot slaughter buffaloes. It's how long will it be before they even prevent Muslims from slaughtering goats and sheep and these type of things? Allah knows best. But there are there's, there's violence associated to the day of Eid, the day of Kurbani, as we say in India, especially the Hindus become enraged. The Hindus then start attacking Muslims sometimes for no reason. Sometimes, you know, you find that the situation has escalated so bad that when you see these videos, innocent people or rather innocent Muslims are being hit, murdered, chopped up by these Hindus. 
and you know, I, I have family in India, and I and I've asked them, you know, what's your what's what's what are you thinking about your future in Israel? Things don't look so so good for us as Muslims in that country. Maybe it's time we have to consider then selling everything out and moving on. You know, it's it's a very it's a very big decision. If somebody has to tell me and you, Shafat, the situation in South Africa is escalating by the day. Give up your work, give up your home, give up everything that you own, carry what you can carry on your back and move out. It's a, a difficult decision. So for us, it's a difficult decision and it's a difficult decision for the people in Gujarat. And yes, uh, it's something that we have to consider very carefully. The BJP is extremely hostile. The other political parties don't seem to come close to the support that the BJP is getting in some areas. So we don't know from elections to elections how much stronger. The Hindus love it. They love the nationalism. They love the pride that the BJP is giving them. For once, after many years, they are they feel that they can actually control the Muslims and control everyone else. And they seem to forget, you know. Sometimes I came across the story the other day. Had it not been for the Muslims, the Mughals would have overrun India. Had it not been for the Delhi Sultanate, they protected them, uh, the, 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 the Mamluks especially, they protected India from the north. The Mughals would have destroyed India like how it destroyed Afghanistan and Persia and right till Damascus. So yes, uh, you know, history is easily forgotten when it comes, these things come and then you'll find that the genocide, Allah protect us, we don't even be using this word, genocide and establish the South countries the anti-Muslim sentiment just runs like wildfire. Gee, Muhammad, and also you talk about, uh, yeah, those extremists, uh, the RSS, the Hindutva, uh, you know, going overboard and doing what they have uh, been doing, uh, which is, uh, you know, shocking indeed. And uh, these are people, uh, I mean, uh, going going back into uh, uh, fascism and acting worse than uh, animals and Allahu Alam why they do such things. And uh, the... Uh, uh, you know, they, they have this uh, innate uh, hatred for uh, Muslims and they always are talking about uh, Mughal rule and under their rule, what they have done to them. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, by the way, there's also this unholy alliance uh, between uh, the Hindus, uh, these extremist Hindus and the uh, illegitimate uh, state of Israel, uh, Zionism and Hinduism. Uh, you'll be talking about this uh, factions uh, that are, you know, right wingers. They get along very famously, Mohammed. I don't know if you've noticed. I've seen, and then you hear the stories about how the Jews would come to India for the holidays and vacations, and vice versa, and cooperation, and Modi, and that 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 leader from the Palestine, <laughs> from the Jewish side of Palestine. Unfortunately, the reality of the situation is they hate us as Muslims. Both sides have a common enemy, so to speak. And they hate us as Muslims. And the uh, Quran says, that uh, the Jews and the Christians uh, 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 will not be pleased with you until you follow their way. And in another verse in the Quran, Allah says, and the most hated, uh, you are the most hated to those who commit shirk. You know, uh, you'll find that is exactly the case. Quran, it was revealed so many years before 1400 years before is so much uh, uh, so so much uh, relevance to us living 
in a community like this, looking at the international state and scale and looking at things in the domestic scale. And this is the reality. So we don't take them as our bosom buddies and we keep them at arm's length and arm's distance. And um, today the situation in India is turned upside down since the Muslims have then moved away to their own uh, homeland, their own homestead. Pakistan and Bangladesh, you find that the migration of the Muslims have left a vacuum for the remaining Muslims in India. And this is the net result of all those things. Uh, me and you were not born, Shafat, so we just sit back and we look at what's unfolding as we progress, as these countries progress. But we pray that Allah protects the Muslims and makes the Muslims strong and gives the Muslims an opportunity. We have great scholars that come out of the Indian subcontinent and we have strong Muslims that come out of that particular uh, part of the world. So we ask Allah to keep make them stronger and keep them uh, firm on the deen and don't allow the mushrikeen and the kuffar even an opportunity to oppress them or to overpower them in any way. No, absolutely. And with Imran Khan taken off uh, from the equation, once again, I mean, just uh, yesterday, a bomb blast in uh, in Pakistan, uh, three killed and uh, over 23 or 24, 30 injured. So here we go again. That's what they say. Here we go again. And it started and the man that was about to stop it. And the man, what was, uh, you know, it actually told America, stop your nonsense here. Uh, when he was there for two and a half years, there was absolutely no bombing, no carnage, nothing. But uh, moving on, uh, Mohammed, we noticed that uh, at schools, uh, looking at the South African uh, scenario, that uh, very soon uh, schools will be selling alcohol on the premises. Can you believe this? Schools. I mean, and, I mean, if you look at the apartheid era, I mean, the alcohol, they kept it closed. I mean, it was like, they had it under control. What's happening uh, here, Mohammed? We're living into lawlessness. We're coming into lawlessness. I mean, you remember in the days when you were a bit younger and I was a bit younger, you couldn't even buy a cold ring on a Sunday because it was illegal to trade on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday. So let alone alcohol, you couldn't even buy your basic groceries on a Saturday afternoon. And and you know, as much as apartheid has its evil, there was some level of uh, dignity, some level of religiosity left in the community. So you know that alcohol should cannot be sold on a Saturday and Sunday. It somehow managed to reduce the sales of alcohol because Experience has taught us that alcohol is purchased mainly on a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday. So be that as it may, if this is what you're saying comes into effect that alcohol can be sold, then I have my I, I have my objections because in America, in America, some of the states you can't even buy alcohol until you're 21 years old. Forget 18 and 16 years old. Even the American government, even they have realized that you, a person who's under 21, is irresponsible. Even his mental functions has not even matured enough for it to be soaked in alcohol. Alcohol is a killer. It's a slow killer. It poisons your body. So if you're not even giving your brain an opportunity for it to mature and for it to become fully uh, operational, already we're finding teenage alcohol has become rife in our community. Today you find that mothers who are pregnant are soaking the babies and you have this fetal alcohol syndrome that the doctors talk about. And you have these issues here, unfortunately, even amongst teenagers. So governments should find ways and mechanisms 
not to allow teenagers to drink alcohol, find mechanisms for, to prevent them from alcohol, raising it up to at least 21, banning it altogether is the first price. And if that's not possible, put restrictions on it. No drinking in public on public beaches. Today, if you're a smoker, you can't even go into a restaurant and smoke. You can't even, any nowhere even uh, in a hospital or in a hospital environment or even in an aeroplane or in an airport for that matter. Government building, shopping centers. But look at alcohol. You sit in a restaurant and you drink yourself till you're out of your mind. Look at you in a plane. You can sit and you drink alcohol. Yet alcohol is not even considered to be as toxic from a government political perspective. We know that the underlying reason for crime is alcohol. We know that the underlying reason for many of the evils in the community, uh, parents raping their children, sons killing their mothers, robberies, housebreaking, rape, murder, all these things stem as a result of alcohol. Not smoking, as bad as smoking is not smoking. But today, the smoker is treated like the person who's got leprosy, and unfortunately, the person who uh, who, who, who drinks alcohol is welcome in the community. And how opposite have we become to the reality of where we should be? Nobody is condoning the smoking of cigarettes, but the reality is we're wearing the wrong glasses, we're looking at things in the wrong way. Let's start looking at things from an Islamic perspective and say if it was banned 1,450 years ago, why do we still have it in our midst? Why do we still have it in our community? Yes, I'd say to you, you relate these stories about these issues in schools. It looks like the schools are becoming breeding grounds for immorality in the community. The last time we spoke, Shafat, I don't know if you can remember, we spoke about these gender-neutral toilets that they wanted to put in the schools. Is this the level of, of animalistic behavior that we have reduced ourselves down to? Is that where we have come so many thousands of years later? Is this what we are reduced to? It's unfortunate, I hope and pray, and those people that make the decisions can come to their senses, and those people that can lodge an objection, lodge the necessary objections to these types of areas, because we should not allow our youth. Somebody else's youth is my son as well. I have an obligation to teach him good morality and to teach him the way in life. I cannot teach him when this is how the schools and the government are promoting alcoholism in the schools. Yes, sir, Mohammed, as we uh, care about the future is uh, the young men of today and the young women of today and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala safeguard them and for me maybe you know looking at alcohol how it was banned by Islam but how gradually it was banned in the house of Islam as we knew the the Arabs were you know very heavy drinkers and it was uh, look at the hikmah of the noble Quran and the way Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam brought in and the day when it uh, it was completely banned what a subhanallah moment that was uh, Muhammad and uh, if you look at the uh, the, 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 the Quran as a manifesto, as a divine decree, and how beautifully it gives the message. And you know, when you uh, read uh, the different scenarios of the Quran, the Pharaohs, the Musas, the Luts, and uh, you know, look at Shoaib and Isa salam, all these stories, they make such an indelible impression on you. And uh, perhaps uh, this is what we uh, and the youngsters uh, should be, you know, brought on, and their focus should be the noble Quran you know, reading you uh, it with understanding and meaning. And perhaps uh, there's something missing here when uh, it comes to that there's a divine bo uh, book, a book of life 
for life, no thinking person should be without it. But there's a missing link somewhere where that message is not being, uh, you know, brought in home forcefully or, you know, in a, in a manner that uh, the kids or the youngsters of today will just look forward for at any opportunity just to, you know, swim into the deep ocean of the knowledge that the Quran offers. Uh, your thoughts on that, uh, Muhammad? So, you know, once again, these are the test of our faith and our iman. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not need to give us a reason why he prohibits us from doing, from, from, from training from certain things. Yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, verses that I recited earlier, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the reason, or one of the reasons why alcohol is so bad for you is that it creates enmity, it creates hatred amongst yourself. You begin to fight with everybody, to commit criminal offenses against your community. So, as Muslims, do we need a reason? No, we don't need it. If Allah says this is haram, like He says, pork is haram. We surmise various reasons why pork is haram. No, it eats the feces of itself, it eats the feces of somebody else, you know, there's so many worms and so many germs and so much bacteria in the pork. Allah doesn't give us the reason why pork is haram, but we accept it on face value. It is sufficient for Allah to make a decree and for us to accept it. That is how a believer's position is. It is sufficient for us to know that alcohol is haram, for us to run away from it. Now, are we running away from alcohol? Are we running away from drugs? Where is our Muslim youth today? If we read these verses to them, they, they're just stepping it off the shoulder and say, this is not relevant to me. I've got no interest in it. It shows that where our community is heading to, what's the condition of the youth, what's the condition of those people that, that, that transgress Allah's laws. So the Sahaba, you're quite right. You know, they love the alcohol. They said, I mean, even the word alcohol comes from the Arabic word alcohol. Alcohol. How many words they had for alcohol. You could write a small book about how they love the alcohol and how much alcohol they consumed and how many names they had for alcohol. And they knew more than what even we begin to see about what alcohol is about. And how quickly alcohol was banned in the community after the verses abolishing alcohol were revealed to the Muslims, were revealed to Saba. It was, the alcohol was just scarce in the streets and that was the last that the Sahaba had heard of alcohol in their lives. And how meritorious wasn't that for them as people in the community, leaders in the community, to turn around and say, we didn't need any alcoholics around us. We didn't need any rehab. We didn't need any counseling. We didn't need all these 12-step programs that you will talk about. One verse of the Quran changed the nature and the shape of the community. Today, how many verses, how many counselors, how many rehab programs do we need to go for before we begin to realize what the Quran said so many hundred years uh, was correct? So yes, yes, you know, once again, we can only continue to remind ourselves that whilst maybe we don't see so much of alcoholism in our community, the scourge of the drugs is taking over. The scourge of the drugs in every community in this country, nearly even around the world. Uh, I was in Brazil not so long ago, and I saw the effects of some of the drugs on the community. The youth no longer look like youth. It's scary what is happening in these parts of the world. And my fear is that it's going to start manifesting itself even in our local communities. We're going to find that the children are totally lost. They have absolutely out of their minds. They have absolutely no idea what day of the week it is. 
They have absolutely no idea what, what purpose they're serving, where they are, where they're going to bed, where they are. This is the reality. So yes, yes, you know, the message goes strongly out to all Muslims. Let's be wary. Let's pick up the pieces. Let's put the community back together. Those people that consume alcohol and drugs are still our brothers. I always say this to, to somebody to, 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 to talk. They are still our brothers because they have Iman. The Iman, Yazid, Iman goes up and Iman goes down. So maybe the Iman is at low, but he has not committed shirk. He has not committed kufr. We need to help him. This is the way of the Saba. They used to help the Sabas that faulted and made mistakes, made errors, errors like this. They help them overcome. We should help them overcome. We need to reach out to the members. We love you. We want to help you. Is there something that we can do to, to bring you back to closer to what Islam has to offer us? And like that, this is the message that they are spread and like to inform our listeners this evening. <coughs> I tell you, Attorney Hafez, <coughs> really a pleasure having you this uh, evening. And also, uh, you know, we, uh, we actually look at the times up to uh, your parting words uh, this evening. Okay. Jazakallah, once again, you know, sometimes uh, we, we, we tend to repeat these programs, but it's only because these are common problems that we find in our community. And we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saves us and our families and protects us and our uh, families, and our progeny as well. We don't know what the condition is going to be like. With so many things being halalized or being legalized, let's put it that way, so many things being legalized, uh, there will even be a time, Mr. Sam told us, that the haram will be turned, termed in different names under different names and different garments so that it appears to be halal. We as discerning Muslims, we need to be extremely careful but what we put into our mouth, what we consume. And like that, we need to be extremely careful about our children, who their friends are, what school environment are they going to, what's the university environment, are, what are they doing on a Friday night, on a Saturday night, are they in a good company, are they uh, with good friends? This is the reality. So our message out there is take, take an interest in your children's lives, see what they are doing. Hair, learn what the telltale signs of alcoholism and drug is and depression as well. You know, these things lead to suicide, leads to depression, mental depression. People go into these the, the depressive circumstances and nobody parents don't see it. And unfortunately, the problem escalates and gets out of control. So once again, Jazakallah for giving me the opportunity to talk to yourselves and to your listeners this evening. And inshallah, we can all learn something from it. Wa-akhiru da'wana, alhamdulillahi wa barakatuh to our very own, uh, uh, yes, our attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kubadia. Time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that.